This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Your Xfinity home security system can't walk the dog, but it can tell you what he does while you're not around. And it can't stop your kids from sneaking out either. But it can let you choose what real-time security alerts you receive. So you're always in control. No matter what you're doing around the house, Xfinity Home can help with a new way to customize your home security. And it was named the best professionally installed home security system by CNET. Click, call 1-800-XFINITY or demo in your local Xfinity store today. Xfinity Home. Simple. Easy. Awesome. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast for the week of November 19th. I'm your host, William Lou. I'm joined on the podcast to discuss sort of a, um, not depressing, but just disappointing one and three week with Joe Wolf on, my fellow Pound the Rock podcast co-hosts. Always got to plug Pound the Rock every time you come on. Absolutely, man. Especially uh, given uh, Dwayne Casey just paid a visit. It was, uh, yeah. and then, you know, he... Uh, it was it was an interesting one. Like, you think uh, you think Dwayne gave that rock one last pound and it finally broke? <laughs> I don't know. I'm really actually curious to know what happened to it because it was spotted in like the bowels of the uh, ACC or Scotiabank Center. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and yeah, I don't know. I don't know if anyone's seen it since then. Like it was on some sort of a gurney. Like it was going to be wheeled out somewhere. Um, so I'm curious to know whether it ended up in Detroit or um, it was just taken somewhere and destroyed. Taken somewhere and destroyed. Masai was like, yo, put that shit in the Lake Ontario. Okay. Yeah, Nick Nurse wanted it out of his sight. Um I can only imagine if that rock was still there. Um that uh, after the game, Dwayne Casey, you know, delirious in his excitement, just starts pounding the rock just furiously and the whole team to pound the rock, you know, like Bruce Brown on the pistons to pound the rock. Like yeah. man. Um, oh my god. Good win for Dwayne Casey. That, I guess that was the biggest game of the week. Well, I, I, that one or the Celtics game. Although I think there was way more drama in the Pistons game. Celtics game, you can understand them losing an OT, especially with Kyrie playing like that. But, um, I, I mean, the one in three weeks. So I think, you know, when the Raptors entered the week 12-1, and one, like there were so many positives that it was like hard to assess where this team truly stood. Um, and I think that you just learn a lot more in losses. So... Um, what do you think was the biggest, uh, one of the biggest weaknesses um, that uh, the Raptors have in terms of just like what got exposed in this past week? Um, I think late game execution, uh, and it's not, I don't know if that's like a structural flaw or if it's just kind of ironing out the kinks with a team that's maybe not entirely uh, familiar with each other just yet. Um, and, and, you know, Nick Nurse sort of still easing into the job a little bit and um. I just I don't know if that's like a problem that's going to persist or if that was just something that cropped up uh, at an inopportune time. But like some really poor late game execution, and like we we didn't really see that um, in the games leading up to this week because the Raptors haven't really like played a lot of crunch time. Yeah. Um. So 
that was obviously disappointing. And I, I think just like defensively, um, again, I, like I think the personnel is, you know, such that the Raptors should be a top defensive team. We haven't really seen that from them yet. Like they've obviously put together great stretches of defense, but um, I think on the whole, they've been a little bit disappointing at that end. And again, I don't know really if that's a question of their scheme um, or if it's just execution. Like, definitely in that Pelicans game, as well as the Pelicans shot in that game, like, I think the Raptors did a pretty poor job in general of, like, getting over top of screens and trailing. Um, and they weren't, you know, applying a lot of ball pressure. Like, there was a lot of stuff where I'm like, I think it just came down to, like, effort and communication. Um, and I've seen like a lot of miscommunication too, where it's like, they don't really know whether they're switching or, uh, hedging or doubling. And like a lot of time they end up sending two to the ball and like end up scrambling after that. Like yeah. miscommunications like that have been happening a lot, I feel. And I, I just think, I expect that's the kind of thing that's just going to get sorted out over time. But it's, like the team's also kind of banged up right now. So it makes it tough. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What about you? Did you see anything in particular that was like a, a point of concern or is just kind of like early season kinks um i think something like execution is something that you feel like or at least you would figure uh, a good coach would be able to sort of sort that out throughout the season as the year goes on um Mm -hmm. especially with the newer group you would expect them to be able to come together and figure that some of that stuff out and i think especially like Kawhi's already like publicly admitted that like he knows about like 60 percent of the offense so right. there, you know, there are still more pieces to be added in, and I think the way the Raptors kind of use Kawhi um, t- towards the end of the, the Pistons game and towards the end of the Celtics game, I think uh, people sort of got very angry at the fact that it was ISO ball, and it was obviously one of the criticisms against Dwayne Casey. But I, I think even going to, like running isolation plays, I think with Kawhi is, is okay. I just think that they probably need to develop better ways to do it, and I think. Um, like, for example, Kyle Lowry setting that, like, little, like, brush screen to get the switch. Like, I just don't see a need for that. Um, at least, like, I, I don't know if, like, again, if that's Kyle calling the plays or Nick Nurse calling the plays. But I just think execution, obviously, down the stretch has just not been entirely clean. And I, I would like to see the Raptors um, not necessarily go away from isolation and putting the ball in Kawhi's hands. I think that's the most effective way to play. But, um just find sort of better opportunities to put him in the, you know, in the post, for example. I think he would be really, the Raptors would do really well to just, like, clear out one side of the floor, um, you know, put Kawhi in the post, and then get the ball to him, period. You know, you can even mm-hmm. set a screen before that. Hopefully you can cause a little switch, and maybe Kawhi gets a smaller guy on him. But, like, that's a better way to, uh, you know, introduce a, uh, a switch or, you know, at least get Kawhi in a good position rather than, like, Kyle Lowry trying to screen for him, like, 30 feet from the hoop. And you're basically just bringing two defenders to the ball. Because, like, I don't think Kawhi's – his handle isn't really that good to consistently evade two defenders. And I think um, that became an issue in the in the uh, the Pistons game and also the Celtics game. But I, I think the other worry I have a little bit is just three-point shooting. Like, I think the Raptors have been really disappointing in that regard. And, um, you know, their three-point shooting was a big reason in their loss to the Pistons and definitely to the Celtics. Yeah, but again, like I think that they have the personnel to be a good three-point shooting team. So I wouldn't say that's something that actually worries me. That that okay. actually, to me, is almost something that's like encouraging because I think you can reasonably expect there to be some positive regression there. And um, you know, if they if they have normal three-point shooting nights, like they win that Pistons game, no problem, and they probably win the Celtics game as well. So I think. Um, that, I don't think that's something that's going to persist. Like, they have a lot of 
good three-point shooters. And obviously, some of them aren't shooting particularly well right now. Kyle's really cooled off after just a ridiculous start. Yeah. Um, and Kawhi's also cooled off. He hasn't been shooting the three ball particularly well. Like, pretty much everybody except mm-hmm. Danny Green, I think, has, has been, like, right. um, shooting poorly from deep. Like, Ibaka, as good as he has been, hasn't really been shooting particularly well from three. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I think they'll be fine in that regard. Um, Fred, obviously, as well. Like, you know, he had a good game against the Bulls, but like 0-6 uh, against Boston. Um, I, I I think ultimately, like, I don't know if they're going to be, you know, a top 10 three-point shooting team. But first of all, like the volume is still there, which is a good sign. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they got up 45 threes in that Pelicans game. Um, I think they only got up 18 against Detroit, but uh, the Pistons are tops in the league at taking away three-pointers and, we saw that with Dwayne Casey last year, coaching the Raps. Like he's, his defenses have generally been really, really good at limiting opponents' three pointers. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the fact that they are getting a lot of three pointers off, um, and that they have enough like good three point shooters on the team, it just tells me that ultimately they're going to be fine in that regard. Yeah, I hope um, so. but because it, yeah. it does seem strange that like so many of the shooters, um, you know, are sort of underperforming on this lineup. And the weird thing is like. If you go to like synergy stats or whatever they're presented on NBA.com as, um, and you look at wide open threes, the Raptors um, are seventh in the NBA right now in uh, wide open threes, which is no defender within six feet. The Raptors are shooting 18 of those per game. Um, and they're actually shooting those well. It's just like the Raptors aren't really getting the good, like, con- not even good contested looks because that's almost oxymoronic, but. Like, I just feel like anytime the Raptors are catching a shooting, they're, like, a decent team. But anytime the Raptors pull up, it's been tough. And it's, like, Kawhi's pull-up three is, like, hasn't really been as consistent this year. Um, you know, Kyle Lowry, I, I thought, like, early in the year he was great. And then of late, he's been ice cold. Um, CJ Miles, he kind of pulled up a little bit last year. This year, you, you can't hit anything. Um, and then Fred. I think Fred has also struggled a little bit. And I, I just, like... Do you think there's a way to get those guys better looks, or is it just a case of if you're going to have the ball that much, then it's probably going to be difficult to get a good pull-up shot? Um, I think they've been getting pretty good looks. I mean, the CJ thing is tricky because I just think he really struggles to get a lot of separation at this point, I think. Okay. Like, um, he just doesn't ugh, look like particularly quick to me, and, and I feel like it's been really hard for him to get a lot of clean looks um like they have that pet play where um they'll have like one of the bigs basically come up and like fake a, like a high screen and then veer into like a flare screen for him mm-hmm. um and that play is always pretty effective like he's still obviously really good at just catching and shooting he can get that shot off so quickly but i just think like i don't know uh, he he to me just like hasn't been getting a lot of clean looks because he physically is like not explosive enough to get enough separation but um the rest of the guys I don't, I don't think like the process has been particularly bad like lowry takes some shots that maybe look in a vacuum kind of ill-advised but mm-hmm. he was he's definitely proven capable of knocking them down um and uh fred the same like uh, he's taken some pretty audacious threes but yes um uh those two I'm, for one threes for fred are just are really crazy man. i don't yeah. think he has well, the range I mean, for that <laughs> like i know it's like a two for one you want to get two shots but like that first shot if you're shooting it from like 35 feet like fred looks so small when he shoots it like it doesn't look like he can actually hit the rim right and often he doesn't you know 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it, it's to that point where you're like, if if you're if that's the shot you're getting in a two for one scenario, then maybe it's not even worth it. Mm. Um, but yeah, like I think I think they've done a pretty good job, and like Siakam has been shooting <laughs> threes really well, and they consistently get him open looks in the corner. I mean, nobody really guards him there, so that's part of it. But if he can continue to prove capable of knocking those down, even semi reliably, then um, that's just going to be super helpful. Like I, he already obviously has no trouble staying on the floor in any lineup configuration, but like mm-hmm. um, if he can consistently knock down threes, and that's also a game changer, I think. And um, I don't know, man. I think uh, I just think that that'll come around eventually. I really do. It's it's just a cold spell, and like we see this happen sometimes, and I don't think it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. I think if anything, it's just like a positive indicator that um, they've been playing as well as they have, despite having substandard shooting so yeah I, I agree I, I agree on that part i think honestly over time it'll even out um what do you what do you think what are you what are you seeing from this team defensively in terms of um i think the pelicans game uh i think revealed a little bit of um, structural weaknesses in the raptors uh defense in that like they rely very heavily on their centers to defend which mm-hmm. has sort of traditionally been the case for the raptors um over the years but um yeah, I, I think like the Raptors kind of willingly concede a little bit of those non-restricted area paint twos, and I think um, teams that have been able to hit those on a consistent basis, and I think the Pelicans, I think they shot like seventy percent on floaters and stuff like that, like Etwan Moore, Drew Holiday, guys like that. Um, you know, that's one area where the Raptors, um, I think, are a little bit vulnerable. Yeah, I think the Pelicans are also just a team that's uniquely qualified to exploit that. And I don't know if they should overreact to that one game because each one more has like historically been one of the most accurate floater shooters in the league. Yeah. And maybe if they, you know, when the next time they play the Pelicans, they can adjust, mm-hmm. but I don't know if they want to change their whole scheme because of that one game. Um, but yeah, I mean, that is like their defense is like they drop back um, and they have the guard kind of trail over top of the screen. And if those guards aren't like, getting over or staying attached then it really puts a lot of stress on the big you know who's trying to guard two players at once and it was like in that pelicans game um you know typically the big would try and stay home on anthony davis which Mm -hmm. i think is smart like you'd rather give up a floater than just give up an easy lob but eventually like each one more was hitting so many floaters but i think almost subconsciously they started like drifting towards him in those one-on-two scenarios and then they would just get those lobs over the top and I you know I just there there wasn't really anything that they could do about it. I think the guards just like weren't really doing a good enough job of staying connected, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, that that just makes it really difficult. And I think Fred has been like a particularly bad offender. Um, he's Danny Green had like a couple rough games, but I thought um, he looked better for most of that Celtics game. But like Fred to me is like last year. I thought what made him really good defensively was how hard he fought to get through those screens Mm -hmm. and i don't know i haven't really seen that from him this year and i don't know if it's just the injury that's bugging him um or something else going on but he hasn't looked entirely right yeah no i I think like look the the pelicans are always going to be a really difficult matchup in that regard like for a team that plays the the sort of scheme that the raptors do like you don't really want to concede a switch when it's anthony davis setting a screen Mm-hmm. and um so yeah I, I don't know entirely what you do um in that case like there were a couple times i think where they tried to 
instead of going over top of like that pin down screen, they tried to go underneath it. And mm-hmm. then it was like uh, each one were basically just like flared out to the three point line and got an open catch and shoot three. Um, like they had so a counter game. ready for that. It was absurd. Um, um so yeah, I don't know. Ugh, I don't know if that's really like a structural problem. Like, I guess you could say there's a structural problem in that the Raptors centers aren't especially mobile, and they're not the best when it comes to like defending those plays one on two. But not that many centers in the league are, you know, really good at that. So there's like Rudy Gobert and there's Embiid and there's Horford, but yeah, um, there's not a lot of guys who can do it effectively. Well, I was gonna say, I think. Defensively, I think Ibaka has been great, sort of just uh, executing the scheme. I mean, I think it's really geared to work when Ibaka's at center. Um, but I do think the Raptors have a lot of issues when JV plays center. And it's, it's obviously not like a revolutionary thought to be like, well, you know, the Raptors are not necessarily as strong defensively with JV at center. But I think it's just kind of the same issues that you see in previous years of like the Raptors' guards are, generally speaking, um, not the greatest defensively. I think Kyle is a great help defender, but... In terms of on-ball defense, he just hasn't really been there this year. I mean, just watch the highlights of that of that Kyrie forty-three point performance. Mm-hmm. Like Kyle tries to be in all the right places, and again, he he tries so hard um, playing um, help defense that he is a really good defender. But like on-ball, it's just not the same, and they kind of rely. I think Nurse has a strange thing about relying on Fred to pressure ball handlers, and I guess he is the quickest of the bunch, so it's not so bad, but. At the same time, man, I would just very much like like to see a little bit more um, usage of DeLon right defensively. Because I think DeLon defensively, because he's longer, because he's more active, and because he's more switchable, like you can just play a lot differently with DeLon than you can with Fred or with Kyle. And I'm not quite sure why Fred is always the go-to um, defender off the bench. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, just because the Raptors have some weaknesses at you know, with point guard defense, especially with quicker guards, like that's always going to put undue pressure on like um, the center. And I think Serge is really great at recovering. And and I think you know, um, there's you honestly you can't say anything negative about Serge all year. He's been phenomenal on and off the court. I mean, he's also just turned into a hilarious personality. Um, if you haven't listened to the Danny Green pod that he did, that was really fun. Yeah, it's great. Gave everyone nicknames, and he revealed that he calls Fred VanVleet "Bet on Your Life." <laughs> Bet on which is super dark, but you know, bet on your life. And then uh, Danny Green, I think, was Green Juice. Yeah. Um, I didn't really understand the Kawhi ones at all. No, no, I didn't. I didn't get that. Like Babyface Assassin is not. It's not really Babyface. You know, he has like age appropriate yeah. face. I think. Like, he looks uh, twenty seven. He, he called him. Uh, he called him Cape Town. He called him and, oh, okay and Zombie Deli. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh yeah, it was JV that calls him Babyface. Yeah. Um. But, I mean, yeah, I, I just think that, like, the Raptors kind of uh, – th- I think one of the issues with the bench right now is, like, I think they really are struggling to accommodate um, uh, with basically the way that Jakob Pertl used to play defense with the second unit and then now with the way mm. JV plays defense in the second unit. And I think it's just causing a bit of disruptions. I think over time it should be improved because I think JV does a lot of things for the bench in terms of, like, rebounding – and just being a solid presence at the basket that I think it does help. But, I mean, at the same time, like, I just think um, defensively it, it hasn't really quite been there for JV this year. And I think that's probably making Fred look a little bit worse because he can't be as aggressive on the ball screen um, if, you know, there's no one basically backing him up. Yeah. Um, 
I guess I can see that. I mean, uh, I don't know. I just like the eye test to me, like Fred has not been good defensively. (laughs) And I don't know if that has anything. I don't know if that has anything with JV being out there or not. But um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely true. Like Pirtle last year, I think it was like pretty easy to kind of funnel guys towards him because he was so effective at protecting the rim last year. And uh, JV isn't quite that guy. But um, yeah, I don't know. To me, just he, Fred, like, hasn't looked especially uh, quick, like, moving laterally. And he's obviously, you know, he's small. Um, I think, like, that was, became really obvious to me when I was watching him try and D up Kyrie, who's not an especially large point guard. No. Um, Very regular size. Yeah, he's, like, average size for a point guard. And man, he, he just looked huge compared to Fred. Like, Fred was, for whatever reason, put into the game for a defensive possession at like the very end of the first half in that game. And Kyrie just like went right at him and scored over him so easily. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I like, he was able to make it work last year. I think just by like fighting really hard um, and just being ultra aggressive and engaged. And I don't know if it's for lack of trying, but uh, it hasn't quite been there for him this year. And yeah, Valanciunas, I mean, look, there, there's, the kind of physical limitations that he has that aren't really ever going to go away. I don't think, I think he's really like made the most of his physical attributes. Um, and I think the Raptors have done a good job of kind of, uh, minimizing, uh, his weaknesses at the defensive end, uh, with their scheme. Mm-hmm. But, um, I, I, yeah, ultimately I just don't know if there's anything that you can really do to remedy that issue. Yeah, that is true. Which I think, that's one of the things where it's not really quite negotiable for the Raptors. I think, actually, point guard defense is something that is going to be a tricky issue because I think offensively you would much rather prefer to have Fred uh, or Kyle. I mean, Kyle obviously number one and then Fred and then DeLon. But I think point guard defense is kind of a bit of an issue. And I think, yeah, I mean, outside of Ibaka, who I, I can't, I'm not entirely sure I can trust Ibaka to play this well all year, especially after seeing what he did in the playoffs <laughs> last year. Um, yeah. So I think those are the two areas where I sort of I'm keeping my eye on, you know what I mean? Like as the season goes on, I think the Raptors might need to sort of tweak the roster a little bit just to try to um, address those two issues. Because like, let's be real, we have Kawhi for one year uh, and you want to make the most of this one year. This doesn't mean trade everyone for immediate pieces, but I think if trades come up, I think, um, you know, more pieces should be considered to be in play, even though the Raptors record is good. That's fine, but I think against top competition so far this year, the Raptors have been all right. They just they haven't necessarily been great on that end. Um, one other area that I'm a little bit concerned about is like um, the like secondary scoring, and I think the Raptors have had pretty good secondary scoring because Serge has scored a lot, and like Pascal has really come on strong, um, and you know Kyle was hot to start the year, and obviously Kawhi's the number one guy, but like. There isn't really a reliable secondary scorer, and, and uh, maybe you, maybe you disagree with me because Kyle could be that guy. But I, I'm I'm a little bit worried in terms of just like who else can create a shot. Like with the way Kyle has been up and down this year, I'm not fully sure if I can trust Kyle to beat that secondary scorer. What about Siakam? Okay, cause so could could Siakam be a secondary scorer? I mean. Uh, the only issue I have with Siakam is that, like, because he doesn't shoot it particularly well, I think you can only really have one of Siakam or Kawhi sort of attacking in the same area because they kind of operate in the same space. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of a your turn, my turn situation. And Right. Yeah, that's it. But, I mean, otherwise, I think Siakam's scoring has been 
pretty solid. I, I mean, like, I'll trust him to average like 15 if he stays in the starting lineup and plays the same role. He could. I don't see why he couldn't average like 15 points a game. Right. Well, Which, look, I'll say this. I think just by virtue of having like if you have Lowry and Ibaka or Lowry and Valanciunas on the floor at the same time, it's almost like a secondary scorer by committee because if you run a pick and roll with those two guys, it's like a really reliable source of offense. I think you yeah. know whether it's Kyle pulling up or whether it's him hitting one of those guys on the roll and. I mean, look, he he hasn't been Kyle hasn't been great lately, but he has like I think continuously just delivered like really good pocket passes to those guys and put them in really good positions to score. Um, and like you were mentioning a couple weeks ago, just like how many of his assists were going to surge. Yeah, like it was nuts. So by so far much the most surge, of the team. Yeah, like twice and more and than so much anyone else. <laughs> so much of what surge has done this year is like a product of Lowry kind of spoon feeding him. I think mm-hmm. um, and that's not to take away from what he's done but like last year so often he was on the floor with jv and like if if he was setting a pick like he would pop and then like you didn't really see him rolling to the basket all that often and i think it's just been really effective having him roll either catch the ball like in the mid-range and he's been so money on like that pick and pop in the mid-range yeah or like getting kind of into floater range that push shot's been really effective or just basically rolling all the way to the rim and like getting layups and dunks so to me, like that's that's just like a really effective play, a high pick and roll with Lowry and one of Serge and JV. Both those guys have been great mm-hmm. on the roll. So um, maybe like none of those guys individually is a reliable secondary scorer, but together, okay. um, I think that's you know that's a, a good kind of uh, two man game to have in your pocket if you need to get a bucket. Um, yeah. And I frankly wish the Raptors went to it more down the stretch instead of. <laughs> You know, I don't have a, a fundamental problem with the Kawhi isolation, but in moderation. You know, I don't want yeah, that to be sure. the entire offense in, in the fourth quarter. So for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, and then I guess the last concern really that you would really pick at with the Raptors right now, which again, it's a good start for sure, yeah, and they're getting the wins. It's it's pretty good. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I think the the other thing you could pick at maybe is just the bench, right? The bench hasn't really been nearly as strong as last year like what are you seeing that's wrong with the bench because i think for a while i was like well you know delon and fred haven't really been in the lineup but even now that they're in the lineup they look kind of i don't know they're just not really running the the team the way it was run last year where um the raptors had the second unit had such a great mix of just like creating enough offense using their defense getting stops running getting easy buckets and then also just like the second unit had a structure and flow in which like no one was really that talented but they were able to run plays at a spa- at a speed and as at a fluidity that I think was able to you know um flummox defenses even in half court mm-hmm. scenarios even, despite the fact that like CJ Miles was their best scorer so like what's wrong with the bench right now um I think they're definitely suffering from a lack of Pascal <laughs> like uh I don't know if we you know, gave him enough credit for what he did to make that unit work last year. Mm-hmm. And I think without him, you don't really have, like, DeLon, I think, is pretty good in the open floor. Yeah. Um, and Fred's okay. But other than that, like, it's like you were saying, they, were, they they would get a lot of offense last year just by kind of creating turnovers and then running out in transition. And um, without Siakam, I don't know, they're just not nearly as good at doing it, especially if it's Valanchunas playing with the bench. Um, so they've lost that element. And I think, uh, you know, the, the fact that Fred has struggled has really had a 
trickle down effect because a lot of time it's like he's the primary playmaker with that unit. Mm-hmm. But I just feel like there are so many times that he, like he'll have these drives and whether it's like going one on one or getting a high screen where he'll like, I don't know if it's a lack of aggressiveness or what, but like the drives kind of go nowhere, man. Like he'll circle back out and just kind of reset yep. and, and like eat 12 seconds of clock just dribbling around. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't really know what that's about. Um, but, uh, that's, that's been a big reason I think that they've struggled. Um, for me, I don't know. I just think like they don't quite have the personnel group that they had last year. And obviously, CJ being out and, and struggling when he was healthy hasn't helped. Um, and now OG is out. Like they just they haven't had a lot of like constancy with those groups. Like mm-hmm. there's been so much shuffling around and so much turnover, whether because of you know JV and Surge flip flopping in the starting lineup or injuries or whatever it happens to be. So, to me, I think it would. I'm not advocating for Siakam to go to the bench, but I do think like they got to start staggering these guys a little bit more. You yeah, know what I, I agree. mean, like like yeah. Siakam can start, and maybe he comes out after like six minutes. Yeah, it's and a, then it's they an easy sub in. too because you just bring in OG, right? And I think the starting unit works like really well with OG instead of. Um, Pascal is even though they're very they're different players right now, but I think um, there's depth in terms of how much more you can use Kawhi and how much more you can use Kyle in the middle pick and roll. That like you know you can kind of spare Pascal from the starting lineup a little bit. Even though I would never take him out of the starting lineup right now, I think he's played so well he deserves to be there. But yeah, I mean six minutes in, take him out for OG it makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and then you know you can bring him back with uh, with that bench group, and I think it'll start to look a lot more similar to what it looked like last year, honestly. Okay. Um, but I think that would still be contingent on like CJ coming back and and like getting back to being the guy he was last year because they need his shooting in that group. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, uh, I think we've amply diagnosed Raptors' uh, problems so far. Again, these are some first world ass problems. The Raptors are seriously uh, playing really well right now. And um, let's look ahead briefly to um, the upcoming schedule. The Raptors. I mean, it just feels like. I mean, maybe it's just like I'm getting older, but like it feels like the Raptors play every single day. Another four <laughs> game slate for the Raptors. Well, by the way. The Raptors have played 17 games already. The Pistons have only played 13. How? How is there already a four-game difference in a month? You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, the Raptors, the schedule does not slow down. The Raptors um, continue their road trip. Um, they're already in Orlando right now. Um, it's actually a nice place to have an off day, really, although I think they're running practice tomorrow. But Tuesday, the Raptors play their Orlando Magic. The Magic have been quietly sneaking up on people. Um, and you know, even though the talent isn't that great, but they're eight and eight and they have some pretty decent wins. Um, you know, they beat the, they beat the Sixers, they beat the Lakers. Um, I don't, I don't know if you would really call those Spurs that great, but I mean, they beat the Spurs, like they beat the Celtics earlier this year. Like they've, they've, they've had some surprise wins. So if the Raptors Mm -hmm. aren't careful, you know, you you can't really overlook the, the magic game, even though I feel like in years past Raptors would always beat the magic. Yeah, the, um, they've been playing really well. Um, mm-hmm. Vucevic has been ridiculous. Yep. And, um, you know, Terrence Ross has been shooting the ball really, really well. Uh, Aaron Gordon's been playing well. Like, uh, even DJ Augustine. I mean, I still think it's pretty suboptimal to have him as your starting point guard, but he's been shooting the ball well. Um, 
they've got a, like a nice kind of mix, I think. Um, I don't have a ton of faith that they're going to be able to keep this up. Like, they started last year 8-4, and four too. That's true. <laughs> and obviously we saw um, how that finished up. But, um, yeah, I don't know. They've got, they've got a lot of interesting players and uh, probably more talent than people gave them credit for at the start of the year. And, uh, yeah, I don't, you know, the Raptors can't really afford to take them lightly. Like I kind of expected them to be a middle of the pack defensive team. Like Mm -hmm. I feel like they were, um, good enough on that side of the ball to cobble together, like a, at least a league average defense. But the fact that they've been scoring as well as they have has been the real surprise to me. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, like they, they have the kind of players that I think can give like the Raptors problems, you know, like a big athletic wing like Gordon, Mm -hmm. um, you know who's quick like if you sp- if you stick a big on him like he's yeah. obviously going to be a bit of a mismatch and if you stick a small on him i think yeah i don't know he's not that good at posting up i guess but yeah um but yeah i, I think vooch has been the guy who's like really carried them offensively That's and true. uh so that'll be an interesting test for the raptors bigs yeah serge is gonna have a he's gonna have to have a big game against his former club it's almost yeah. weird to think about Serge Ibaka in a Magic uniform. <laughs> yeah. It's super weird. Like, I can, like, really picture him in a Raptors uniform now. Like, I'm really getting used to it. And obviously, OKC. But, man, those, uh, those like, four months he spent with the Magic, that was strange. Um, man, that trade, like, holy shit. Yo, such a bad bonus. trade. Man. Yeah. Um, um, but, yeah, like, I, I wonder if they will start JV that game, actually. To, to try and deal with Booch. You think so? I mean, I don't know. It's tough because he can he can stretch you out a bit. Yeah. Um, to be but... honest, I think they honestly are very, very quietly just thinking, man, we should just start Surge full-time. Yeah. Um, I, I really wouldn't mind either player, but uh, we'll see. I, if I'm if we do go with JV to start this game, I want to see JV get the ball um, sort of and just attack Vucevic one-on-one and see if you can put him in foul trouble. I think mm-hmm. that's probably the best way to do it. Um, but I also don't mind JV off the bench against a guy like Mo Bamba, for example, because like against those like long, like uh, you know, lean shot blockers who are better help defenders than they are like one-on-one defenders. I think JV really succeeds against those guys. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, but I mean, look, I, I actually think the Raptors match up really well with the Magic. Like, I think you you stick Pascal and Aaron Gordon, you're 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 comfortable with that. DJ Augustine has been a guy who has burned the Raptors in the past. Also, it's weird he's a former Raptor. Um, I thought he was on his way out of the league actually when he was with the Raptors, but he's still kicking around right now and and quietly decent. But I think Kyle should be able to hold DJ Augustine to a reasonable number, and then and then I don't know when you look at the wrong like you look at the rest of the roster like I mean when you're throwing Kawhi Leonard against Jonathan Isaac or Kawhi Leonard against Evan Fournier or you know Danny Green against Wesley Awundu like yeah I mean the Raptors gonna yeah win they could be okay yeah. yeah okay so we we got that win. Raptors then the next night uh, play the Atlanta Hawks in Atlanta to complete four-game road trip. The Hawks are not very good. They play very fast. They play very sloppy, um, but they're just not very good. And I don't know. They've lost uh, seven in a row. Um, They probably will lose on Monday against the Clippers. So, um, yeah, I, I I don't see this as anything other than a win. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it is the second night of a back-to-back, and there will probably be some Raptors resting in that game, but um, yeah. I don't think that will particularly matter. Well, we won't have Kawhi versus Vince Carter. <laughs> <laughs> what Damn. a shame. Um, yeah. Okay, and then Friday, the Raptors return home. They play the Washington Wizards. 
Um, the Wizards have kind of turned their season around a little bit, except for the fact that they're still 5-11, and 11, and Dwight Howard just pulled this glute. And so, I don't know. They're still 29th in defense, by the way. Their offense has gotten a little bit better. I think Dwight has helped sort of establish more space in their pick-and-roll game, but ultimately their defense has still been trash, and if Dwight doesn't play, I mean, like, we saw this team earlier in the year, and that was without Kawhi. Like, with Kawhi, man, this is... That's a win. I don't think they've really turned their season around either. Like the the three wins that they had to kind of like quote unquote get things back on track was they beat Miami, who have not been good. No, um, they beat Orlando, which I guess that somehow qualifies as a quality win, and they beat the Cavs, and then they lost to Brooklyn, and they just got dummied by the Blazers tonight. So, um, yeah, I'm not particularly worried about that game. Yeah, they're they're a mess, man. No, they're they're terrible. And uh, whenever you lose to the Nets, who didn't even have Karis Levert, um, yeah. that's tough, man. That's tough. Damari Carroll had a cool eleven and six against. Remember when Damari Carroll was on the Raptors, and then we got Kawhi. <sighs> yeah, we've yeah. come a long way. Yeah, we have. Yeah, I mean that's that should be a win. Although, the, uh, t- you know, a caution on that one. I mean, I think the Raptors and Wizards always play games pretty tightly, so I don't think it's going to be a blowout, um, even with Kawhi, but. Ultimately, I think that's a win. And then the Raptors wrap up the week. Miami is in town. Um, Miami's a team I have no idea if they're good or bad. I think they're bad, but I think they have some moments of being good. Um, they just lost again tonight um, to LeBron, uh, and now they're 6-10 and 10 on the season. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I just feel like they're just a tough, gritty defensive team. Like I, That's always how I remember them as, but... When I've seen them this season, they haven't really been that greedy defensively. They've just been kind of stagnant offensively, and they rely a little bit too much on Whiteside, who is having a decent year, but, like, it's come on. It's still Hassan Whiteside. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. They just, like, to me, have a bunch of players who are okay, you know, or pretty good, and nobody who really rises above that. So... I think, you know, those games can be kind of tricky. Mm-hmm. You know, you take your foot off the gas a little bit. They play hard. They're very physical. They're well coached. They're deep. Um, and so they can just kind of beat you, you know, on the strength of numbers, I guess. And, and like, if they all are just kind of, like, pulling together and uh, defending on a string, like, they can definitely take you out of your rhythm. Um, yeah. And there were a couple, of, like, the Raptors games against Miami last year were not fun. No, like, they, they were, man. Dwayne Allington, out, man. Like, yeah. <sighs> Um, so, you know, like that, yeah, they, they could win that game. Um, but I just think like the Raptors are so much more talented and if they play anywhere close to up to their potential, then I think they should, they should win. Um, but you know, yeah, it's just, it's never like a particularly fun game because they're going to rough you up a bit and, um, muddy the game up a little bit and, uh, make you uncomfortable. So um yeah the Raptors are gonna have to be focused I think that'll be a good test for them like uh even defensively just to like communicate because uh they like Miami's a team that runs a ton of actions they screen a lot mm-hmm. they got um, shooters. and try and, and try and confuse you so yeah Josh Richardson's been playing really well yeah um although Rodney he threw Magruder. a shoe into the stands he got ejected today. it's <laughs> yeah. very strange weird move yeah I mean yeah I mean uh, the, the heat are also a little bit banged up like James Johnson finally came back uh, Magruder's been in and out. Dwayne Wade's been in and out. Or I guess he's been away with, uh, you know, uh, paternity leave. Mm-hmm. Um, Dragic has sort of been in and out as well. Like, you know, 
We'll we'll see what team actually shows up. I think a full strength Heat team gives the Raptors a little bit of problems defensively, just because they they always have. But I mean, realistically, they should win. I, I guess it just feels kind of weird predicting a four and zero week after the Raptors went one and three. I think probably I predicted a four and zero week for this one anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, realistically, the Raptors should win most nights, and this week is not a particularly difficult. Um, it's not a particularly difficult slate of games. Yeah, I kind of think that they'll win the ball. <laughs> okay. Well, there you um, go. then we'll look silly, you know, for talking so much about the Raptors' problems. But I think again, losses are more useful than wins in terms of just if you want to know what's what where the weaknesses are on the Raptors. Yeah, I and think... it's also like, look, they've lost four games this year, and two of them have come down to like the Raptors having the ball basically with the dead shot clock Yo, and the game tied. Should have not so... have lost that Celtics game, man. We got that game was a little bit stolen. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, well, <laughs> the I was, I down so the stretch of that one was was so garbage. Um, also, yeah, you know, I mean, maybe like those... stop Kyrie Irving one time, just once. Do you think uh, like they should have just blitzed him and like made him give up the ball? Nobody, on, nobody else in the Celtics was really playing particularly well, so um, he won that game on his own. He did. It was crazy, fully. And he was so good defensively. I, I could not believe how hard he was scrapping defensively. That's been a season long trend, honestly. Like he's he's been legitimately good. Uh, at the defensive end, so yeah. um, he's definitely capable of doing it. Um, but he kind of like started out last year defending really well, also, and that yeah. tailed off by the end of the year. So we'll see. That's true. Okay. All right. We're gonna take a quick break right here, and then when we come back, we will empty out the uh, mailbag. <laughs> I'm Brian Goldfinger from Goldfinger Injury Lawyers. We'd like to wish you and your family a happy holiday season. Don't drink and drive, don't token drive, and wait till you get to your destination to reply to that text. Visit goldfingerlaw.com. Welcome back to the second half of the Raptors Weekly Podcast. Still here with Wolf on another reminder to listen to Pound the Rock. Um, it's just this podcast that we're doing right here, except it's a little bit more professional and there's cash and... Uh, yeah, we talk about the NBA. So listen to that. It's uh, it's on iTunes and SoundCloud. I mean, wherever you need to find a podcast, you'll find it. So listen to Pound the Rock. We are going to answer some listener questions. Uh, as always, you can hit up at Raptors Republic. First one comes from Andre. How would you explain the Raptors' recent struggles from the three-point range um, in the Raptors' losses and how the Raptors you know, can adjust? I think we touched on this a little bit um, in the first half of the podcast, but... Uh, I don't know. Do you okay? First off, do you think Kyle Lowry is handling the ball a little bit too much? Because I think last year he got great success coming around screens, and you know you could have situations where Demar could be the point guard and set up Kyle. Where this year, Kawhi's not really a point guard or even a point forward. He's just a finisher, um, and so maybe the Raptors need to find another way to get Kyle off the ball and have him shoot a little bit more. What do you think about that? Um, yeah, I think that like he's a great off ball player. Um... And uh, I don't know. Maybe it's just a question of him like playing a little bit more with like Delon um, okay. in those like you know playing playing more of those two point guard lineups or three point guard lineups even. Um, because yeah, like like Kawhi obviously is a much better player than DeRozan is, but he's not as good a playmaker. Um, and I think he also gets tunnel vision some of the time. Mm-hmm. Like he's not really looking to pass the ball when he gets it. So. Um, I don't know. It's it's hard to say just because like at the start of the year, Kyle looked so good shooting off the dribble, and I don't know 
like the drop off, I don't know really what to chalk it up to. Um, I still think those are good shots for him, but, um, yeah, I mean, getting him like coming off screen is always a good idea. Uh, I'm trying to like, I'm, I'm trying to see like what he's shooting off the catch compared to off the dribble, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just, maybe it's just a question of him playing next to DeLon more. What do you think? Yeah. I think they try to do a little bit of self with Danny Green holding the ball and initiating, but like no one takes Danny Green seriously when he dribbles. Yeah. Nor should yeah. they. Like Yeah, and like they try to put him really into the post and stuff. They've got a couple of threes that way. I think they're moving a little bit away from their set offense uh, in the last couple of weeks. I don't know if it's just like a lack of practice or whatever, but mm-hmm. um the offense in general has looked a little bit less structured, which I think Nick Nurse kinda likes it that way, but um, you know, in order to get guys clean shots off the ball, like generally speaking, you would want to have a little bit more structure, especially if that guy you want to get shots for is your point guard. Uh, right. Because it's not as simple as running pick and roll and then swing it to the weak side. Like, you know, it's you, you got to do a little bit more work to get Kyle some threes. And I think, you know, that's something the Raptors can really work on. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, to also like just hit some open threes. Like I've seen the Raptors miss a lot of wide open threes this week. Um, mm-hmm. Next one from at Retro Yeezy. At this point, is it better for Ananobi to start and for Siakam to come off the bench due to a lack of solid bench production? Uh, no, I mean, we talked about this. I think that uh, Siakam's got to keep starting. Like, he's just been too good. He's too um, but I do think they should stagger him more um, and definitely give him more time with the bench. Um, so, mm. yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah. Um. By the way, not that I would ever advocate trading away Pascal, but with how much hype Pascal is um, garnering and how much um, his performances have just looked so encouraging right now, if Pascal is a, a, a wonderful trade chip, if the Raptors choose to go that route, again, don't go that route. Please never trade Pascal. But, um, yeah, yeah, you got Pascal, and then you got JV, who has a pretty big salary. Like, if there mm. were a star available... And I'm not talking like a Jimmy Butler rental. Like if there Anthony were an actual star available, oof, oof, this will be the time to go for it. But um, don't trade Pascal, man. Do not trade Pascal. What am I saying? Uh, yeah. Just putting that out there. Anyway, next one from Edwin. Was Coach Bud our first pick? And if you had to choose, uh, who would be better? Um, I think he was their first pick. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't have any – Intel to this regard, but the, you know, all the reporting at the time was that that was the guy that they wanted. Apparently, they took um, Bud to go have lunch at like eleven, which is not a great okay. restaurant. I mean, there's a lot of great restaurants. I'm sure it's still better than any restaurant in Milwaukee, but <laughs> yeah, the um, restaurants wouldn't even serve Giannis. Can you imagine Giannis <laughs> going to a restaurant and they're like, "Sorry, man, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta wait." Like, it's an hours wait list. Um, yeah. That's wild. Um, so yeah, I do think he was our first pick, and I think I think it's too early to make any kind of judgment uh, to that effect. But okay. I mean, if we're going off of the first fifteen or whatever games of the season, then yeah, I think he's done a better job than Nick Nurse has. But uh, it's a long season, and you know, Nick is new at the job, so I think we have a lot to learn about him as a coach still. And um, I just think it's way too early to say. But, yeah, it would be nice to have Bud, honestly. Like, the system that he's running in Milwaukee has been really, really effective. Yeah. And I feel like it would work really well in Toronto as well. Um, Next one from Ajanth. 
Uh, should the Raptors make a play for Corver, even if it's just to prevent another East rival to pick him up as a buyout? Um, yo, everyone is really afraid of teams picking up Corver, but I'll, I'll the only thing I will say is I know it's the the idea of adding more shooting to the Sixers is scary, but the more I look at the Sixers, I'm just like, there's a structural issue. They need their best players to shoot better, not necessarily more shooters. Um, because like you think about it, JJ Reddick's already taking up a spot. Um, whoever they play at, at power forward, you can't play Corver at power forward, so that there's an issue there. Uh, and then if you have more shooting, then it's like okay, you have a slight upgrade on Landry Shamit, but Shamit is sort of functionally doing what Corver is going to do, and so I don't know that necessarily changes too much for what the Sixers have, especially now that they have Butler and their offense is going to be geared more towards pick and roll stuff, but. I don't know. I mean, Corver would be a nice addition for the Raptors for sure. Like you would always want a shooter like that, but I think it'll be difficult to. You basically have to decide that CJ is not doing anything this year, and basically punt on CJ and maybe even swallow an asset to do that. Which it's just hard to do. Uh, I think the organization really likes CJ, um, and I think they're going to give him an opportunity to recoup his value instead of just bailing to get Corver. What do you think about Corver? I think he'd be a nice piece to add. I just don't know how they do it. Like you're saying they trade CJ, but obviously like the Cavs aren't going to do a one for one swap. Like they're going to want an asset. Um, I don't know. Maybe a second rounder gets it done, in which case I'd be happy to do that. Hmm. But I think, you know, and what you're saying is important too. Like I think they view CJ as like an important cultural piece. Like he's a really good locker room guy. Um, and and I do think he was going to get it together when he gets healthy. Um, I would rather have Korver um, if we're talking, you know, strictly in basketball terms. Mm-hmm. But I just don't know if I don't I don't know if CJ and a second rounder is getting it done. Um, but and I kind of agree with what you're saying, like him going to Philly. I mean, the, the, to me, like one of the structural problems with that team right now is that the, the guys on their team that can shoot can't really play defense. Yeah. And they need to put like multiple shooters on the floor with, you know, around Simmons and Embiid and, you know, whether it's Butler or whether it's Fultz, like they really have to spread the floor around those guys. And they ultimately end up having to do it with guys who can get exploited at the defensive end. And I think Corver would just be another one of those guys. Yeah. Like I'd be um, much more afraid if they got Ilya Silva again somehow, which obviously they won't this year because yeah. Ilya Silva is pretty like, to the Bucks, but Yeah, they're super thin in the front court. So that's that's the kind of guy that they need. Um just like a better version of Mike Muscala, basically. Yeah. Or even, yeah. honestly, like if they got like a PJ Tucker type. Yeah. Man. That'd be <laughs> terrifying. Hopefully they yeah. don't. Um, okay. Next one from Canoe Girl. When does Kyle get a rest day? Apparently never. Apparently never. Which, by the way, I, I think the Raptors, I think they were pretty weary about playing Kyle extended minutes. And it was very interesting because Nurse was asked about Kyle and sort of his little jammed ankle or whatever happened to him. But, uh, again, he shouldn't have been in the game. It was like 85 to 55 with two minutes left in the third quarter. Like, what are you doing? Um, and then he was asked about it, and Nick Nurse was like, well, you know, we wanted Kyle to come out. But then Kyle was kind of wanted to get, you know, stay in the game and get into a rhythm. In which case, I'm just like, like, why? You have to just pull him at that point, man. He can get his rhythm tomorrow. Like, we're playing like the Magic and the Hawks. There's a lot of chances to get his rhythm. Like, let's let's make sure he's healthy. Like, God damn, he's played a lot of minutes this year and he's taken some huge hits. Yeah, I don't know. That that just like worries me a bit. If the coach is saying that, like, it makes yeah. me feel like he doesn't entirely have control of the situation. That's what I'm it's saying, not, like, necessarily what you want to hear. 
Kyle has a lot of control of the team. I'll say, I I feel like that's pretty clear. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, in a way, I think that he should. Like the team. For sure. If there's anything that I've taken away from this stretch, it's like the team really goes as Kyle goes. Even though Kawhi is here now, it's like we've seen Kawhi have, like, by his standards, some down games where the Raptors still look fine if Kyle is going. And when he's not going, like, the team kind of grinds to a halt. Well, it's good to know that nothing has changed in the last six years. Yeah. Well, anyway, I I think that he'll probably rest for one of those uh, games, like, on the Magic Hawks back-to-back. I really hope so, man. Although there are incentive-based cl- uh, clauses in Kyle's uh, contract that, um, you know, might entice him to play more games. Who knows? Well, I mean, hopefully he sees a big picture and knows that he's, like, not going to meet those incentives if he's getting ridden into the ground. Um, I hope so, too. I really hope so, too. So, yeah. Yeah. He does not look like he's moving well, man. And no. The amount of elevation he's getting in this jump shot is very different from what it was at the start of the season. Yeah, and all, like, look, he was getting to the rim at will at the start of the yeah. year, which was like, you know, Super now quick. now he's back to looking like he was last year, where he couldn't get to the rim at all, and was like struggling to finish when he gets there. Yeah. Um. Next one from RG. If you were able to trade one of our 14th last 15th guys for any former Raptors since 2013, who would address the biggest <laughs> need for this squad? Okay, so. Uh, PJ Tucker. Ooh, yeah, PJ would be really good. Definitely in the top uh, couple. I feel like present-day James Johnson could be really useful, too, because he could basically do the Pascal role off the bench. True. Like, you know, big forward can handle a little bit, and, you know, Dwayne Casey's not here for him to uh, just get stapled to the bench anymore. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Um, what about Lou Williams? I feel like Lou Williams could actually do some damage at the second unit. It would just yeah. have to fundamentally change how the second unit would play. Like, if you brought in Lou Williams, you probably have to, like, bring in a real defensively sound center to make sure that, um, you know, like a basically a Biombo type to cover for, you know, Lou Williams defensively because you can't yeah. really have and, Well, in that case, Williams. like, is Lou, like Lou, Fred, and DeLon all playing together at the same time? No, nah, I mean, I'm assuming you would. Yeah, I, I guess you could play DeLon full-time at three. We'll just see if his body holds up, which it won't. Yeah. Man, you know, the Magic are first in the Southeast Division. That is mental. The Southeast what is a, terrible, man. What a dis- disgrace. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just think, man, P.J. Tucker is so goddamn good. Um, and, like, yeah. his defensive versatility would be really nice. And also, he's shooting, like, 42% from three. So Yeah, that his shooting nice has gone well. so much better over the years. Uh, um, I think, yeah, I mean, bro, if we had... I mean, I don't even know. I mean, would, 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 would P.J. even start for the Raptors? I guess you would play him over Danny Green, but I don't. I kind of yeah. would rather have Danny Green. Mm, yeah, maybe. I just yeah. think like PJ, you could play him in like so many different spots. True. Like you could play the three, you could play the four, you could play the five. Um, you could have him guard pretty much anybody on the floor. Oh. Um, and I just think like, like imagine, like if you had him in that Celtics game, it's like you could run out a lineup where you just have. You know, in theory, like Kawhi, Danny Green, PJ, Siakam, and I don't know, and Lowry out there, mm-hmm. and just like switch everything. Um, and you know, you could start PJ on uh, Kyrie, and just like be ready to switch whoever onto him, whether it's Siakam or Kawhi, um, or pretty much anybody else. Like, I just he's he's so versatile defensively. Like he's the whole 
Rockets defense. It's wild. Yeah, it is really wild. Um, there's a couple questions here along the same theme of, you know, was the three game losing streak indicative of a bigger problem? We spent the first half of the podcast talking about that. Um, let's take two more questions. Okay. So, um, from DeVince, is it time to have the discussion that Nick Nurse is not as good of an offensive coach as advertised? Do we um, need to start a dialogue about Nick Nurse <laughs> five games I, into his coaching career? <laughs> I don't. Uh, I don't think we're at that point yet. And, look, the Raps are still, what, third in the league in offensive efficiency? Uh, um, they're fine. And I'm not saying that the late game stuff isn't a concern, mm-hmm. but I also think it's the kind of thing that they're going to figure out in time. Um, but if it's like, you know, halfway through the season and we're still seeing like the same stuff where on those late game possessions, it's just like clear out for Kawhi over and over and over again, then I don't know. I might be singing a different tune. Hmm. I just don't think, uh, I don't think we're at that point yet. Yeah. Same. Let's, you know, honestly, let's give him a little bit more time. Um, I think the ISO thing is just really weighing heavily on people's minds. People hate seeing ISOs miss at the end of games. Mm-hmm. But also, like, man, th- you have to look at it from a strategic standpoint. And I said this when Dwayne Casey was here, too, and I defended it then. And I'm going to defend it now. Um, if it's a tie game, you probably want to make sure you do an ISO because, A, you can now make sure you use all the clock and take a shot with no time remaining, which is very important defensively. Because mm-hmm. you don't want to leave any chance for this time left, and then the other team can go the other way and score. Um, and then, meanwhile, like whatever percentage, like basically, you like if if a Kawhi shot goes in forty percent of the time, you have a forty percent chance at winning, and then you have a sixty percent chance of going to overtime, and, and a zero percent chance of losing in regulation. It's pretty important to run an ISO in that situation. I think most teams do it. Like imagine yeah. you run an elaborate play, and then you have a turnover, and they win the other way. Like that's way worse. Than breaking an ISO and going to overtime, I, I would push back on that a little bit, and it's I, everything you said makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Like I get it, just on a personal level, I would rather like them play to win than to play not to lose. And I think like I'd rather see them like actually run a play where they're going to get a good shot, and if it doesn't work, like trust their defense to get a stop. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I just like it's obviously like it's very low risk, but something about that also kind of rubs me the wrong way. You know, like it's almost too risk averse for my liking. Okay, it's like go like like play to win. You know? Yeah, that's my feeling. Okay. Also, the one thing I would say about Nick Nurse and his end of game play calling is that like all year he's been done. He's done such a great job of calling plays after timeouts mm-hmm. um, that it's just strange that none of that shows up in, in, in crunch time. <laughs> You know yeah. what I mean? Like, for I mean, the first three like, quarters, like, man, the Raptors give up a 6 nothing run, no problem. We run a play, we clear out the side, JV gets a post-up, he scores, or, like, you know, Kyle Lowry comes around some screens, he gets an open three, or, like, you know, Kawhi gets put into a mismatch, and then he scores, like, such clean, crisp execution, and then just down the stretch, none of it shows up. And I, I really yeah. do think that, like, there is a little bit of power tug between you know kyle and, and and nick nurse in terms of just like who is specifically calling those plays so i think well, did you nick see Malott... like kyle's kyle's body language coming out of the timeout before that last play of regulation against the celtics was mm. not great i mean mm. he had his head down like 
basically like skulked to the corner and like mm. put his hand like you know what I mean that was what he was supposed to do I guess like I, I can understand him being frustrated that like he wasn't going to be in any way involved in that final play mm. um but yeah and it's like you were saying like I know you didn't think that there was any purpose in having Lowry set a screen for Kawhi but like yeah. I actually thought they had some success like getting they got Marcus Smart switched onto him a few times in that game and I'm pretty sure Kawhi scored every single time yeah for sure I, I I think generally that's not a bad idea, but I just think that like it's there's a cost to it a little bit. You know what I mean? Like it's not the cleanest way because even if you got the switch, you're still way above the three point arc. Kawhi still has to make a move. Like you basically only you don't have that big of an opportunity to run that play. Whereas like I really do prefer like you just put him in the post and then you clear the floor so that you know all the defenders on the other side and then like the guy guarding Kawhi can't really front and so you have an easier time setting him up. I just think that like that. W- makes more sense than Mm -hmm. trying to screen like so far above the three-point arc but you know um, it's 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 not objectionable on its face i'll say that that's true that's true uh and then last one i mean this is like a question about like pascal in the all-star game i don't really think that that's going to happen I think there are some pretty good players that are going to get big stats ahead of him so what about this one then from uh calisino um, Calcino? I don't know. Um, do you think the Raptors should just trade JV for a more mobile center that can defend and switch? Also, where do the Raptors need to make improvements to the team? Okay, so we've talked about the second half of the question. We kind of talked about the first half of the question too, but um, I don't know. If you trade JV for a mobile center, like A, is that a good idea? And then B, like who would you have in mind for something like that? Yeah, um, I'm not gonna get my Tristan Thompson thing again. I don't really <laughs> want Tristan Thompson like that. Okay, I'm yeah. just saying that type of player. I'm like really racking my brain trying to think of who that player would be. Um, yeah. I mean, most likely you're gonna have to match salary. Um, yeah. So also who are you most really likely, to- JV doesn't have much trade value. Even though he's having like a good year, like his numbers yeah. are high, whatever. But like, you just look at these, this like basically old school centers. They just never ha- like Nick Vucevic is a better player on a much better contract, and he gets nothing <laughs> on the trade market. Yeah. Brook Lopez, who I think on, honestly you could argue Brook Lopez is a little bit better or at least equivalent to JV. Very different players at this point, but the man got paid like three million dollars. Okay, so it's it's tough to find a, a matchup. Yeah, I mean like all things being equal, like let's say salary wasn't an object mm-hmm. and you could just flip JV for like Nerland's Noel, who I guess fits the bill of like a more mobile center yeah. who can switch a bit. But like, I'm good. I don't know. Is that, is that making your team better? No, I'm, I'm good, man. I <laughs> like the thing Nerland's is, I think Noel most sitting all over an Airbnb in Toronto. <laughs> what? what? Yo, you remember that? Nerland's Noel. Remember he, when he was in Philadelphia or whatever, he he got like sued because he like rented out that Airbnb property and like literally left human feces all over the place. He was living in an Airbnb when he played in Philadelphia. I I don't know something like that. Maybe he rented one Airbnb. Oh so man. Um. Anyway, I I just think mm. so. Like for for the most part, those guys like are are giving you less value than JV at the offensive end. And the guys who are, like, going to be able to give you something at the offensive end and are, like, mobile enough to switch um, and, like, quarterback a defense, like, I don't think those guys are going to be readily available Mm. in a trade for JV. 
So it just doesn't really seem like an option to me. It's like, I don't know, maybe like Robin Lopez. I mean, one for one, that I think the Bulls might actually do that, but I don't think Robin Lopez really fits the team much that much better than JV does. I Although think so I think either. I don't know. Actually, I wouldn't hate that move. It's also weird organizationally to dump JV for that because I think JV is like a lot of fans and rightfully so, and he's had a lot of great mm-hmm. moments and like, you know. All right, here's yeah. here's one to consider. So okay. I think Derek Favors isn't trade eligible until December, okay, like mid December, because uh, he's signed in the off season, right? Yeah. But uh, their salaries match up pretty nicely. So um, okay. let's just assume that for whatever reason, like the Jazz decide they can't play Gobert and Favors together. So all they want is like a really good backup center. So all they want is a guy who they know specifically <laughs> definitely cannot play with. Yeah. Um, I mean, they could use JV scoring. Let's be real. Yeah. So let's say, yeah, they, they give up on the Favors-Gobert experiment. Would you mm. Would you want to do that? Yeah, I'd do that. Yeah. yeah, I like, I like favors. favors. Yeah, and he makes the same money as JV does, except that there's yeah. no player option. He's just guaranteed the money. Um, well, by the way, so I've looked up in the Noel thing. All right, according to TMZ, the 21 year old Philadelphia 76ers star rented a 4,800 square foot home outside of Philly back in 2014, uh, and he paid 54,000 for a one year lease. That's not great money management. Um, so some of the highlights of what happened, all right, splash neon colored sports drinks, such as Gatorade on the carpets and throughout the home. That's not that bad. 3,000 or $30,000 in other damages to carpets, uh, extreme water damage throughout the home, clogged toilets filled with cotton balls and feces. In addition, broken elevator. All right. 4,000 in damages to the stove. I don't even know how that's possible. Did you blow up the stove? Like, first off, the stove was worth $4,000. I don't know. It seems a bit trumped up. Damage to the fridge. Damage to the blinds. Damage to the dishwasher. Torn window screens. And here's the scary part. The owners say they demanded 42000 to repair the damage, but the day after they sent the demand, a tombstone with the words, Rest in peace, mysteriously appeared on the front steps of the property. The owners believe it was Noel's doing and are considering it a death threat. Okay, so I don't really think it was a death threat, but like, yeah, yeah. That, yeah that does seem uh, excessive, bro. I don't know why you first off paid $54,000 for an Airbnb in Philly. There's <laughs> just something wrong with you if you do that. Yeah. Uh, well, at least he accepted that four-year $70 million deal from the Mavs. Mm. Yep. Oh, wait. Yeah, he yeah. got some bad advice. He got some bad advice on that one. Oof. Um. Anyway, so yeah, yeah, we won't trade for Nerlens, but yeah, but only because he shits everyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, sign me up. Okay. All right. Well, well, fun. I think that does it for the podcast. I think we have Thanks thoroughly on, talked about uh, the Raptors problems. Yeah, for sure. Um, follow Wolfon as always on Twitter at Joey underscore W. Um, you know, great stories as always from Wolfon and the rest of the scores NBA future team. Um, by the way, yo, your Pelicans, I feel like they're your Pelicans. Your Pelicans, all right, uh, got 80 points out of AD Nikola Meritich and Julius Randle last night and also beat yeah. the, uh, the Nuggets. I mean, they're they're really fun to watch, man. They are. Last night was a really good night for, like, my recent features. Because, mm-hmm. um, like, before that, I'd written one about how – Kemba is really good and the rest of the Hornets are really bad and don't deserve him. Yeah. And he dropped 60 in a loss. Yeah. And then the one I wrote after that was about <laughs> the Pelicans three man front court. And yeah, they combined to drop 
81 points in a win. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a good night. Yeah, there you go. Um, read all of Wolfon's things on the Score app. Listen to Pound the Rock. And, uh, yeah. You'll see another Pound the Rock episode at least. Uh, there's a, There might be one tomorrow. We don't know, actually. We'll probably discuss this after we hang up. Um, <laughs> but... Um, there will definitely be one on Thursday, so watch out for that. We're going to talk about the Raptors in that episode. And uh, yeah, I've plugged the podcast enough. It is what it is. Anyway, uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week. Your Xfinity Home Security System can't walk the dog, but it can tell you what he does while you're not around. And it can't stop your kids from sneaking out either. But it can let you choose what real-time security alerts you receive. So you're always in control. No matter what you're doing around the house, Xfinity Home can help with a new way to customize your home security. And it was named the best professionally installed home security system by CNET. Click, call 1-800-XFINITY or demo in your local Xfinity store today. Xfinity Home. Simple, easy, awesome. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas.